Hey, Sales Enablement Podcast listeners. This is Alistair Wilcock, co-host of the RevOps Podcast. We have another special episode for you coming right up. So if you like what you hear, come and subscribe and join us at the RevOps Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's RevOps Podcast. I'm Alistair Wilcock, CSRO here at Revenue.io, joined by Howard Brown, CEO and founder at All Things Revenue Science here. And then, of course, Sean Lane is back again as Vice President of Field Operations at Drift. Sean, we're thrilled to have you back with us. Excited to be back, guys. Now, we left off uh, last week on a high note, really kind of starting the discussion around the measures and attributes of what actually makes a great RevOps person. And a lot in, I think there's a lot of question marks around that today. Like it's an evolving category. There's new leadership coming in. And I'm not sure everybody knows how do I measure? What's good look like? And I just want to paint a picture for both Sean, you and Howard here. I was speaking with this fairly sizable enterprise the other day that's redoing their RevOps structure. And you sit there and they go, so they have inside there, they had uh, subcomponents of a leadership and marketing analytics. They had their sales strategy and sales ops team. They had a strategic vendor partner team. They had a sales productivity team. They have a customer advocacy team. And then they have a go-to-market intelligence team. And then all these sub-functions beneath that. Now, it's a big company. So I, I get they have some bifurcation. But now they're putting in RevOps. How on earth would you build that? Who would you look to to come in and the attributes they would need to put put that all make that all work, and and what's kind of this most simplistic way to measure the success of a RevOps model in a large enterprise today? Yeah, it's a great question. So so maybe we should start with the kind of the type of work that a team like this is actually going to be responsible for. And then we can come full circle to the types of people who can actually fulfill that work. Right. So, so you said, what's the simplest way to think about this? For me, the simplest way to think about the purpose of that RevOps team is to create a high achieving, predictable and understood revenue engine, right? High achieving, predictable and well understood revenue on engine. That should be the North star of any RevOps team that you're putting in place. So those folks who are starting from scratch or redoing it, that's what your aim is, right? And then we think about the work itself. For our team at Drift, we've designed it in kind of three different buckets. We think of it as planning, execution, and insights. And so I'll talk a little bit about each one of those buckets. Folks were probably sitting there thinking, okay, I think I know, I just wanna make sure I articulate it, right? So. Planning is everything that happens before your customer facing teams are even in their seats, right? So that would be things like, how do we carve territories? How do we think about books of business? How do we think about comp planning and headcount and quotas? Everything before someone even takes a seat to do their job, right? So that's planning. Execution is the design of the day in the life of all of those customer facing folks. So if you have, different sales teams that serve different parts of the market, what does their day in the life look like? Where do they go to know how to do their job? How do we think about the different handoffs in the customer journey? And then you kind of have all of your, you know, what people might think of your standard kind of sales ops work around pipeline management, forecasting. I think that all lives in that execution group. And then insights is really the bridge between the two. And I, and I think this is where, you know, typically operations teams might be a team of one or two, especially in early stage companies. And 
everybody has this dream of getting to the insights part, but I think what we've tried to do is carve it out as its own unique role to make sure that that actually happens. And that's where you're going to actually be doing analyses and bringing proactive insights back to the business, as opposed to just reacting to whatever the latest fire is. So I would say just to start planning execution and insight would be kind of my foundations for how they might structure that, that team that they're trying to start uh, at the company you were talking to. Let's dive in on the insights one and tad there, because I think planning, I think most people would agree there. Execution, but we should come back to executions. I think that, that has some hair on it. But insights in particular, what are the critical insights? Like I, I love your North Star there, but Sean, my experience with a lot of RevOps folks is the insights are relentless amounts of dashboards that frankly I had before, and now they're giving me 20 more in my business that still tell me the same thing. I just got to thread the needle between them all, right? So like, and I'm not just talking consolidation, but there's there's got to be some KPIs there that matter fundamentally that align to the North Star. Would you agree? Absolutely. So um, my first boss at Drift is a guy named Will Collins, incredibly smart guy. And what he taught me was there's kind of like this two-dimensional matrix to think about when you think about insights or KPIs for a business. And the way he thought about it was you had the maturity of the business on the x-axis and the complexity of the metrics that you measure on the y. And those things are not necessarily always perfectly correlated, but you really got to figure out where you are in your company's maturity before you start going too crazy on complexity. So a good example of that might be if you're a super small company and you're just trying to figure out how your funnel works, you probably don't need a super complex multi-touch attribution model. You're just not ready for it, right? What you might want to start with is just what are the things in our funnel that we want to count, right? Like you start there. What are the key milestones? And then are we instrumented to count those things? Super basic. Number of leads, number of meetings, number of opportunities, pipeline, bookings, right? Full stop. If you are not instrumented to measure those things in a funnel, then you can't surpass that in complexity just yet. And so then once you've decided the things you want to count, then you can start to think about, all right, what are my levers inside of that funnel? And that's where you can start to talk about conversion rates and how those might change between those different milestones over time. And then maybe you want to add in some quality metrics, things like average sales price or average sales cycle or win rate, right? That might actually give you a little bit more depth. You know, you start like those, those level one metrics and now you're going to get level two and level three and start to get a little bit more. And so I think when you have those in place, then you can start to actually have that dashboard conversation that you were talking about. And, you know, it will evolve very quickly to your point where you're going to end up in a world where, okay, everybody wants to slice and dice these things 17 different ways. And I think good operations teams will get agreement from their stakeholders and internally on these are the things that we absolutely care about. These are the things we're trying to move the needle on this month, this quarter. And then you can reevaluate what those most important KPIs are on a regular basis. But if you're changing them all the time or everyone's moving the goalposts on what important metrics are, you're never going to get to, to your point, the actual insights that are going to help move the business forward. So let me ask you about that. So we see a lot of companies where you have marketing, you have CS, you have support, you have sales, all of these different folks wanting to slice and dice data in different ways to show that they're doing their job well and that 
you know, it may be somebody else's problem. It's a top of funnel problem. It's a, it's a CS problem. Everybody wants to slice and dice the data in their particular way. And they pressure RevOps. Hey, I need you to create this dashboard or this report. How do you balance that sort of thing? It's a really good question, right? You, you could cherry pick any data point you want and tell the story that you want to tell. Right. And so I think part of the job of operations is to kind of set up the key business metrics. Right. So if you think about it as almost like gauges on an airplane, right, like these are the ones that we all have agreed together are the key gauges. And, you know, as that kind of objective arbiter, I as ops need to think, okay, is this actually indicative of how the business is doing or is this indicative of how so-and-so in marketing wants it to be presented because it makes them look better, right? And I think the best thing you can do too in that situation, Howard, and you know, I've been through plenty of meetings on attribution and finger pointing like way more than I care to admit, but I think the thing you can do best in those situations is find metrics that people are tied at the hip on together, right? So instead of saying this is what sales is gonna bring to the table and marketing is gonna bring to the table on a pipeline number, this is the company pipeline number, right? And so we as a group are all putting our hands in together to say that we're going to get to this number, however is the best possible way to get there. But like at the end of the day, as long as that number is in the green, people aren't gonna care about who gets the credit. I think where you really as an operator need to help drive alignment is when things aren't going well, right? Because that's when people are gonna really start to say, okay, it's not going well because sales is doing their job and marketing isn't or marketing is doing their job and, you know, CS is right. And so I think if you can be the one that brings alignment and then gets people to put their hands in together on shared metrics, I think that avoids that problem a little bit. You know, we're hearing a lot about folks that are taking those shared metrics and, and comping organizations to shared metrics. So as opposed to marketing has their metrics, sales has theirs everybody's accountable to those shared metrics. Are you seeing that in organizations? Are you looking at that from Drift's standpoint? Yeah, we're definitely seeing more and more of that. I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind when, when those conversations come up. First, you know, typically a, a salesperson's variable percentage of their, of their overall salary is going to be significantly higher than what you might find in customer success or marketing. So you have to have that piece of context with any type of behavior that you're trying to incentivize. And so, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a different beast depending on the role you're talking about and the percentage of that person's OTE that's tied to a variable component. So I would say knowing that is, is a really good starting point. The other thing that I think is helpful is we try when we're designing any of our comp plans to start before we get to any of the numbers, we start with a few things. The first thing we start with is what are the kind of guiding principles that we want to put a stake in the ground on when we're designing these comp plans? An example might be, you know, we want our comp plans to be simple. We want our comp plans to be easily digestible because as I'm sure you guys know, you're going to be three or four weeks down the road and someone's going to say, okay, but we're going to do 30% on this and we're going to do 45% on this. And we're going to take a snapshot here that will measure three weeks later. And like all of a sudden, like you've lost the, the actual reason why you're there. So I think having those guiding principles is a good starting point. The second thing I, that we try to do is 
we start with the behaviors that we want to incentivize, right? So you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, maybe companies want to focus more on their existing customers. So is there something different we want to do in the comp plan around existing customer bookings versus net new? And then the third thing is, what are the levers that are available to us to incentivize those behaviors? So is this through a spiff? Is this through an accelerator? Is this through you know a, a special program that we're going to create to drive cross sales? Whatever it might be, you, if you do kind of those three steps before you even start to talk about numbers, I think it makes the numbers part a lot easier. And then the last thing I would say, just kind of about your point about the cross-functional nature of it, I think the more you can get non-sales roles involved in some sort of variable comp plan, one, it's going to drive the right behaviors in those non-sales organizations. And I think it, again, creates better alignment across different teams of like, hey, we're all actually in this together. Somebody who we had on our operations podcast uh, at Drift, a super smart woman named Caitlin Quinlan, who works at Gainsight. One of the things she told me was like, you have to be constantly myth busting on other teams comp plans right because these rumors start of oh i heard that the cs team has this in their comp plan and that's why somebody's acting like this on a call right and most of the time those those myths are completely false but you have to get out ahead of those things yeah the i heard myths i think every organization has some of those yes so going back to an earlier part of the first question what do you look for in a in a great operations person? What what does that look like to you? Yeah, I think there's probably two traits for me that are the most important. And in, this is regardless of tenure or seniority, whatever. The first is um, this trait that somebody taught me long ago that's called uh, adaptive excellence. And basically what adaptive excellence means is you can be dropped into any situation. You can look around use the context clues that are available to you and thrive in that environment, right? And so um, you guys probably have interviewed a ton of sales candidates uh, over the years, right? And so I remember vividly when I would, um, I ran an SDR team at the company I worked at before Drift and we would interview people and the most common answer I would get when I would ask them why they thought they would make a good SDR is like, oh, I can think on my feet. And to me, like basically what that means is they're, they're good at BSing, like they're actually just making stuff up on the spot. To me, the difference between being good at BSing and being adaptively excellent is being adaptively excellent, you know all of the different ingredients that will make you successful. You just got to pick which ones are going to be successful in that particular moment. BSing, you're really just making it up on the fly, right? And so adaptively ex adaptive excellent operators are the ones who can thrive in any environment based on the challenge that's put in front of them. So, so for me, love looking for adaptive excellence. Um, and then the second thing is you want to find people who are the ones who want to solve the problems, right? This is a massive generalization, but I have yet to find uh, an operator who doesn't like crossword puzzles, right? Like you want to find and hire folks who not just can seek out and point out problems, right? In a, in a high growth environment, they're everywhere. They're easy to find. You want to be the one who wants to solve the problem. You know, I think we have that on our, on our ops team at Drift. And it's, it's fun because now you have this group of people who are bouncing ideas off of each other and they're trying to be the one that solves it, but they're also poking holes in each other's ideas. And so if you've got a team of folks who want to be the one who figure out the answer, you're probably on the right track.
I love those characteristics. That is great advice. Uh, uh, thank you. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I don't. I don't think I've heard that put so simply and and really really valuable. I appreciate that. Thanks. I really. I think it's wonderful, Sean. And I, you know, I think as you think about people and in particular RevOps as a total, what I'm often looking for there is not just telling me the North Star component right? Telling me the big thing that we can go do to get there. But I want to understand, you know, well, why is it we can get there? But why not? And I think the inverse to those questions is key. So it's the why can we get there? Why not? It's, I know we could succeed if we did these components, but also I know what would take to fail, right? It's, it's understanding the logic flow on the opposite side to your crossword puzzle analogy, right? I know when to trust the data and or the people putting it in, I also know when they erred and what I should do about that. And I, and I think it's that back and forth that great leadership and RevOps actually brings in a healthy way, right? They, they really know how to look at it both ways, not in a half glass full or empty, not uh, bullishly one way or the other, but they understand those basic explainable components and, and do explain it to the company so you can make a decision, right? You, you can get to that North Star a little bit better. Yeah, and that they're open to having their mind changed too, right? I had a, a marketing leader that I worked with for a long time. And one of the things he told me about myself that I didn't realize was he said, you know, Sean, you have strong opinions loosely held, right? And, and I think that's important for operators because the data might tell you a different story tomorrow than it told you last quarter. And so being able to adapt in those situations, I think is, is just as important. And so, you know, that's, that's, I think, another thing that's important for, for the folks on your teams that when that new data does present itself or that new scenario pops up, it's okay to change, change your mind of, of, about the way you thought you were going before. Mm. Yeah. And when we think of data, like Sean, you really laid the table well on, you know, how I'm going to categorize what you said, right? There's this fit kind of data. There's always intent. There's transactional but I didn't hear us hit on the behavior side. Behavioral data is, is one of the more emerging areas that come in. Are you seeing that at Drift? Are you thinking through those attributes as well? And, and Howard, of course, love to get your take as a pioneer in that space. Yeah, that's definitely something we think about. And so, you know, to me, the reason why behavioral data is helpful, right, is your, the problem you're actually trying to solve is getting the right leads in front of the right people at the right time, right? So, so for us and the way I think about it and the way we think about it at Drift is, you know, first and foremost, your comment about firmographic, you know, how good of a fit is this company for Drift or whatever product you're selling, right? And then second, behaviorally, how much intent are they showing uh, that they are likely to make a purchasing decision for your product, right? And so again, this goes back to the complexity versus maturity conversation we had. It's perfectly fine to start with something very simple. You know, very early days, it was like, you got a certain number of points for subscribing to the blog, right? You got a certain number of points for going to the pricing page, things like that. And then I think as that's evolved over time, reasons why you see companies like Sixth Sense becoming so successful is they're now able to unearth intent that's happening not on your website. And who knows what's going to happen with first party data versus not in the future. And some of that stuff might be hard, but like being able to articulate, okay, we're going to do all of the behavior that we know about. 
And then we're going to complement that with behavior that might not be happening on our website, but there is data available to us. And so we try to think about both of those sets of data together when we're trying to prioritize what makes it in front of our sales team and solve that problem of right leads in front of the right people at the right time. Yeah. And when I think of behavioral data, I think of not only the data that exists on the prospect or customer, what they're doing on and off your site, but also once you get that right lead to the right person at the right time, what does that rep do behaviorally? You describe that, that adaptive excellence. How do you make certain that your reps have that adaptive excellence and what are you doing to help them be situationally aware so that when that right lead comes, that they know how to deal with it, that they have the right information, the right training in the moment to change their behavior or support their behavior. So it's behavior both ways. We think about the behavior in terms of the prospect or customer. How do we match that behavior on the sales side, on the CS side, on the support side to you know, make sure we get those customers for life. And it's that that I'm super excited about and super focused on in terms of the behavioral data. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I think that comes back to really great enablement and really great discovery, right? I think those things go, go hand in hand. And you know, I have an amazing partner, Kyle Bastian, who runs our sales enablement function. Um, and so, you know, we try, to your point, Howard, to, to set folks up to be able to thrive in any environment, regardless of who they're talking to, right? You could, as a, as a sales organization, decide, okay, one of the ways we're going to grease the wheels on that is maybe you verticalize and you have certain people who are specifically tailored to talk to manufacturing, financial services, whatever it may be, because they're better positioned and they're more experts in that particular world. One of the things that I think is really interesting, at least for us and for our product, but for any product that you're talking to is you guys, when you're talking to the vendors that you work with, like you want someone to recommend to you what is the best course of action, right? They're the experts in their particular product or tool and you want them to teach you something, right? And so I think any of that behavior that you're talking about, and again, could be prospecting, could be existing customers, whatever, what you really want is someone to teach you something. And so the bar is really high for someone to be able to go toe to toe with a CEO and make a recommendation that he or she is going to trust. And so you have to, I think, think of it through that lens, whether you're in sales or in the customer world, can you go toe to toe with those folks and make recommendations that they are going to trust? And a ton of en enablement um, and discovery goes into being able to do that effectively. The best way to go toe to toe with anyone is to have the data, right? If you, if you come prepared with the data that when we did this, we had this result. When we changed the behavior here, we got this result. Nothing influences change as much as evidence. Yep. So I want to draw an analogy there though, because this is, this is, I think just such an interesting area of where the market's going, right? Sean, I agree with everything you said in terms of the enablement and, and there, but if we're fair for when people are actually in that in that mode, right? They're talking to that CEO, or they're talking to this director or CIO or whoever, right? Yes, they have to provide the insight. Yes, they have to you know help these people forward. And they should be experts, right? But we spend thousands, hundreds of thousands on tools. There is the content libraries and companies today are incredibly rich for the most part. Maybe not fully connected correctly, but they're there nonetheless. <laughs> you have Armies of people 
that run training sessions and help and coach and do all of these things. We, after the fact, we're now digging in and telling people what they did right and wrong. And all of this is, is great. It is actually helping in the market without question. It is making people better. But at some point, you need to help the person actually as they are engaging, as they're there. You can't expect somebody to have, to Howard's point, they need the data. Depending on where you go in a conversation, I might need 20 different data points. So should I just be listening to randomly pull a data point or do I want something that's dynamically helping me in that? And I think a lot of people push back when they say that. I go, well, why would that ever be? I couldn't have something like in the moment helping me and stuff like that. Well, let me ask you, you're driving down a freeway at 70 miles an hour. <laughs> would you have a fold out map to navigate the new city you're in? Or do you use a GPS system? Yeah. I think most of them say, well, I think I'd actually have a GPS system guiding me in the moment, wouldn't I? Because reading a fold out map and trying to coordinate all this stuff, I'm probably going to crash. Why is that so wrong in a conversation? Why have we not embraced that yet? I think people are scared, but they were probably scared when the GPS first came out too. But like, I, what I think you're getting at is it's less about being able to present the data and more about being able to recommend the next best action. And it's not even the insight at that point, right? You start with the data, then you have an insight, but it's really about the action, right? And, and so that's the way we think about it too, whether it's in our, our AI product itself, in terms of how we would guide a conversation on the website or for our team internally, that that's really what I think, whether you're on a sales team or, or any team, that's what people want and need is like, don't, don't give me the chart. Don't give me the bullets. Like literally tell me what is next and make a recommendation and then you can follow it from there. Howard, I know we're going to run out of time here in a second and uh, on that side, but any final thoughts from you on you know, this notion that Sean has really set us up here for on this idea of, of the engagement aspects of what's going on in the market today? I think as, as leaders in RevOps, sales, marketing, whatever, if we're interacting with customers, if we're interacting with prospects, we need to make sure that we meet them at where they're at. We need to make sure that we bring value in every engagement. And how do we do that? We do that by helping our reps be contextually aware of the situations that they are in. We provide guidance in the moment that can help them deliver excellence because quite frankly, we have unreal expectations on on companies today. We expect them to know their products, their services, know everything about their competitors. We're, we expect them to understand your business. It's unbelievable and it is unrealistic. And so today buyers have these huge demands and they're placed on human beings. We need to make sure that whoever we hire, we enable them for success. And you know, it's a tough job being forward facing these days Let's make sure we enable folks to be successful. That's, that's my parting words there. On that, I love it, Howard. For those listening in, the RevOps North Star, enable growth and increase productivity, and you're probably doing a pretty good job. Sean, how does the, how does the firm reach out to you? What's, what's uh, Drift's website? Drift.com. Uh, and you can also uh, subscribe to our operations podcast, literally just called Operations, wherever you can find it. 
It's been brilliant. I think uh, we have one coming up together as well over there. And we it's, do. Uh, it's a fantastic listen for anybody that can uh, go out there. So definitely check out the Operations Podcast as well. Sean, thank you for all of these insights. Uh, it's a privilege having you on. Your your expertise and just real world practitioner is is obvious. So really appreciate that. For those listening in, please do remember to like and subscribe. And also, don't forget our new dial-in number with your questions. You can reach us at 323-540-4777. That's 323-540-4777. And we will see you on the next episode of the RevOps Podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. 